what's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is a thought leadership series that enlightens and inspires listeners with insights from distinguished business leaders and subject matter experts. Our conversations are designed to make you think, inspire you to ever reach for cultivating your best, and take an informed approach toward leadership and business. Our guest today is Hugh Ballou, a transformational leadership strategist and the president of Synervision International, Inc., He's the author of eight books on transformational leadership and is a recognized expert in working with leaders in churches, religious organizations, and business and nonprofit communities. He is the editor of the Nonprofit Performance 360 magazine and the host of the Nonprofit Exchange podcast. We'll be talking about how his previous career as a conductor informs his work today, the specific approach he and team take to developing leaders, and hear some stories about their work and the difference he's made in the, made in the organizations they serve. He joins us today from Lynchburg, Virginia, Hugh, welcome to Working on Purpose. Well, Elise, thank you for having me here. I'm glad to be here. It's wonderful being on the other end of the mic, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this. Well, we have to start. You have such a fantastic, long, and distinguished career, Hugh, and I'm just so happy to know that you're still having such a great time in life and work. It's, it should be like that, as Dr. Seuss says. It should be like that. So let's do this for our guests. Um, would you just start by saying a little bit about your expansive life and career? And I want to start this conversation by learning how you chose your initial career in music and performed as a conductor. Why music first? Well, it's it's about the nurture in the home and what 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 shapes us. And my parents had really good classical music playing all the time. So I was fascinated. I took piano lessons. And so I decided I'd go to college and study music. And I was the person they shouldn't have let in the music school and certainly didn't have let out. I was very intentional about it and had very little skill. But I got out and I had a, I started uh, directing church choirs when I was 18 years old. So I went from you know tiny little churches to 12,000 megachurch size and worked in several megachurches. So I was on national TV and had who's, of, who's, who's who of national artists come in and do concerts with us. So I was able to do big productions and run big programs. So it was a career that was meaningful to me. I can impact a whole lot of people by impacting a whole lot of people. You know, that's so beautiful. One, you know that the word meaningful means a lot to me because I'm a management consultant and I focus specifically in meaning and purpose. And I love that right out of the gate, you chose something meaningful for yourself. And a lot of young people don't do that. They take the guidance of other people that mean the best wishes for them, but kind of steer them off their path. So I'm glad that you stay true. That's really, really inspiring for me, actually, as someone who has a 17 year old daughter and she's trying to figure out what she wants to be when she grows up. Um, so speaking of that, identity is my next question. So since it's such an anchoring mechanism in our lives and among other things, it drives behavior. And I'm a meaning of work and identity researcher, as you might recall. So I'm fascinated with the, the way people answer the questions, who are you? And what makes you you? So how would you answer those questions for us? I'm an influencer and I'm passionate about giving value to people so they can realize 
the inner skill they have that they've not really realized and certainly haven't developed. So I'm a catalyst for people finding their excellence and then developing that so they can have impact. And let me acknowledge something about you that maybe the listeners don't know because they've not had the experience of seeing you in action. I have. When you facilitated the Youth Philanthropy Conference we did a few weeks ago, you were just dynamic, Hugh. You were just, I mean, I was, I learned a whole bunch of things from you and I was inspired. I was in such good hands and you really are a catalyst. Well, leaders don't do, leaders lead. And um, the conductor, well, people miss, miss, perceive what a conductor's power is. People think a conductor is a dictator. Well, let me tell you, you got this little white stick and you got a whole bunch of union players. They're very good. You can't make them do anything. What you can do is influence them. It's how we use the tools and how we show up. So a leader is an influencer. And the culture of the orchestra, the culture of the choir, the culture of the boardroom, the culture of the staff is a reflection of the leader. And so I learned that early on, and I, I was way out in front. I started directing a choir when I had no experience of even being in a choir. So I've been one of these people, either brave or stupid. I just said, hmm, I bet I could do that. So that started a 40-year career of conducting. And still, uh, just as last year, I was conducting a symphony here. So I, I, you don't give it up. I would think not. In fact, that was my next question is I was wondering how it was that you decided to add leadership development and coaching work to your career offering since I assumed that you were still conducting music. So why did you decide to add leadership and coaching? Well, I did a, a stint with the Lynchburg Symphony here in Virginia. And um, so I worked with, with the previous president and, and helped them build their strategy, helped them build the board engagement. So it's really like shaping a musical ensemble. We come in, we have a very clear distinct intent, purpose-driven intent. So we, we're very clear on the purpose, everything we do. Why are we meeting? What are we going to do? And then one day they said, oh, you're directing the next concert. And I said, okay. So I didn't even know if they knew about my, my conducting. So they said, well, we've seen some videos of you and we want you to conduct. And so um, for the first time in the history of the symphony, they filled the hall. And you know it was the talk of the town because I did something different, which engaged the whole population of the community on stage and in the audience. So really it's, it's I've managed large music programs and in my church in Atlanta, I was 12,000 members. We had several hundred events a week. I had 750 people in music program. So, you know, you had to learn how to manage systems, how to create systems and how to get out of the way because they were very competent people. And I, you know, any leader depends on having competent people and we influence them to step up and step out and do their best. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I love the work as well. Your, your, your company that you started is called Synervision. Why did you start the organization? And can you, can you say for, for us a bit about what's the vision behind Synergism? Um, so it's, it's the, the, the synergy that we get from having a common vision and I actually have a CenterVision family of brands. CenterVision International is I work with corporate leaders, mid-cap corporations. CenterVision Leadership Foundation, I work with nonprofit leaders in churches, synagogues, and uh, educators. And in uh, CenterVision Publishing, I publish a magazine. And I do have an, an editor, but I'm the publisher, and they actually let me write for it. And I write books and publish um, programs, self-study programs, and have a community. So it's like ensemble in music. So, you know, a, a drama ensemble 
plays together. They learn to play off each other. The musical ensemble is very much the same. We rehearse, so we develop this extra skill set. We don't give up being independent. We don't give up our skill set, but we develop this other skill as the ensemble. So Cinevision is the, the word that kind of resembles that ensemble feeling. Mm, that is delightful, absolutely delightful. And I also recognize just all the moving parts that are in that. I have several moving parts in my business as well, but it's really quite spectacular that you keep all of those parts moving beautifully in synchronicity. I think it's amazing. Have you ever seen a musical score? It's a very long piece of paper and it's got all the instruments on it. And there's 60, 70, 80 instruments in the orchestra, but there's a bunch of strings, but you got a line for each one and it goes across the page very fast. And there's no way, unless you study the score and really know what's going on, there's no way you can take in everything right away. So you have to know the score. So my leadership principles start with know the score. We have to be intentional. We have to be purposeful about where we're going. And so that score is a skill set in itself. So it's it's what holds us together. It's the common plan. So without a strategy, we're nothing as business or nonprofit leaders. We must have a roadmap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the things that I find beautiful about what you've done in your life, Hugh, is that you have stood on the, the career of music and, and now you, you use that as an anchor or an informational conduit to what you're doing now in leadership development. And I always encourage people to not forego wherever they came from before, but fold it in and let it let it flavor, if you will, wherever they go next. So how does your experience conducting inform your leadership today? Well, um, it took me 40 years to write my first book, Moving yeah. Through It. Moving it feels so much better. Thank you. Building Lives. So that was my first, <laughs> first book. And, it, and it, it's really, and it took me 30 days to put it on paper. And so it's the church musician, it's transformational leader. So you have a bunch of singers, you transform them into a choir, you transform the choir into an ensemble, and in a faith community, you transform people's lives. And so I, in this book, after I left the 12,000 member church, I defined my job as music director, that 10%, 10% of my job was music. 90% allowed that to happen. So the, the below 1090 rule is as a leader, we have the vision and the skill to make that happen. That's 10% of what we do. 90% is that iceberg that support, supports the iceberg underwater. That 90% allows us to do it. And most of us don't have the skills or the knowledge or the experience to develop that 90%. So at least that's why you and I have work because people need us to be able to highlight their expertise and achieve their vision. So it, it really works together. So being able to be on stage, that's just a little bit. There's a whole bunch behind that that really makes it happen. So when the baton goes down, boom, it's the culmination like being on the radio show, being on a TV show, being in a movie. There's a whole lot of work that went on to make it happen. Isn't that the truth? Well, so that question was specific to your leadership, how your music informs your leadership. I'm also interested, and maybe it's the same answer, but how does your, your background in music inform how you coach and how you consult? You know, God gave us two ears, two eyes, and one mouth. <laughs> so coaching is 90% listening with our eyes and our ears. And so coaching is a, more about asking questions and listening and reframing and helping people discover things about themselves. Um, the misinterpretation there is that coaches tell people what to do. Now, there are several styles of coaching, several areas of coaching. There's content coaching. There's leadership coaching. There's process coaching. But there's also personal development coaching, which is about how do we make decisions. And 
my job is to enable people to raise the bar on their own function. You know, one of my favorite things about coaching you, and you're sort of hitting on it, is I, I really love, and I do think I bring a certain superpower to this, right? I, I, I have my eyes work through my purpose lens, and so I can see what's unique and special about people. That's just so obvious and natural for them. It's the water they swim in. They're just so used to it. They, they, they can't articulate or separate it. One of my favorite things, though, is to be able to shine that mirror back to them and show them who they are. It is the most amazing thing. I'm sure you've experienced that your whole entire life. But isn't it a gift? I'm a leadership coach. I have a leadership coach. If, if people are going to excel, they must have a coach. If you look at the people who are the top in their field, they have a coach. You look at the people that are struggling, they're the people that are going to figure it out for themselves. It's so we have blind spots and we need somebody external who can help give us feedback. Oh, did you realize this? Or did you realize when you said that? Or what's the impact of that decision? Or is there another way to think about this? And, and so having a leadership coach is important, a marketing coach, a business process coach. We cannot do for ourselves what we do for other people as coaches. And I'm a, I call myself a transformational leadership strategist. It's more than coaching, more than consulting. It's, it's developing the strategy and integrating it into, into performance. That's what a conductor does. You got this piece of paper that makes no sounds. And then we enable music to come about from that piece of paper with a very competent team. And really, um, you want to have people around you that are more competent than you. If you're the best person on your team, you better run. I agree. And back to your point about coaches, I have two coaches and I am convinced that I certainly wouldn't be living my purpose fully if I didn't have one of the coaches that I'm working with. Um, and the other one I work more on emotional, spiritual matters with. But I couldn't agree more with you. If you're up to something in life, you need a coach. You need somebody to help stand outside of yourself and help kind of pull you a little bit and challenge you. Absolutely. It, and that's where we grow is, is in the, the discomfort of stretching our abilities and hmm, self-awareness. And so the, the number one trait of a, of a leader is an influencer. But to be an influencer, we must be vulnerable and be open to that. I completely agree. And that is a perfect way to send us on our first our first break there. Hughes, we're going to be a little bit reactional and, and reflectional about that. So let's do that. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We are there with Hugh Ballou. He is a transformational leadership strategist and the president of Synervision International, Inc. He joins us today from Lynchburg, Virginia. We've been talking a bit about him, where he came from, how he grew into the person he is today. After the break, we're going to hear about his unique approach to leadership development. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. 
Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Hugh Ballou. He's a transformational leadership strategist and the president of Synervision International. He's the author of eight books on transformational leadership and is a recognized expert in working with leaders in churches, religious organizations, and business and nonprofit communities. He's the editor of the Nonprofit Performance 360 magazine and the host of the Nonprofit Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So before the break, Hugh, we were talking about really how it was that you came up in the world and your love of music and how you've really now fed and thread that through what you're doing today in leadership development. So now what I want to do is I want to take the curtain back a little, if we can, and learn more about your approach to, to leadership development. Everybody does it a little bit differently, and you've got your own sauce too, of course. So you distinguish that you're developing transformative leaders, which I think is fascinating. So what first, what is a transformative leader and how is he or she different from other types of leaders, say inspirational or other kinds? There are a number of uh, tags for this type of leadership, that type of leadership. And being a conductor, I fell right into the pattern of transformational leadership. It's a style of leadership. It's about a vision. And when we're uh, doctors on a podium and we got a piece of music, there's a clear vision. And this is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. So we, we're very purposeful about the objective. So transformational leadership is about the vision. Where are we going? Now, the opposite of that scale is the autocratic leader, the charismatic leader. It's about me. You know, I got all the ideas. I'm going to boss you around. That's the boss. Um, and so over here, transformational leader is the empowerment person. We build leaders on team. So it's a, it's a very different different approach. Transformational leader does not do anything. We define what we take off our plate because there's competent people in our team. Now, I don't hire the very best oboe player for my orchestra and tell them how to play the oboe. And you'd be surprised how many power leaders, whether they're in a multinational corporation or a startup nonprofit in a local community, they get somebody that's competent, say they hire somebody or bring some volunteer in to do marketing communications. Then they tell them how they want it done which is ludicrous. You've got an expert oboe player. So you say play and when we shape the process and we do the blend. So we've got, when you got the melody, it comes out when you don't have the melody. So the, the leader shapes the, the process, the product, and actually inspires the community to perform at a higher level. Now, I can't make people, as I said before, I can't make people do anything. What I can do because of my competence, my knowledge and my instructions, inspire them to raise the bar on their own performance and so there's there's this synergy that goes back and forth as, as we raise the bar on our on our performance so it's 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 being very clear about influencing people you get things off your plate you must model what you want to see if you show up to work late you don't do your job you say bad things about other people you're shaping the community by your very being so authenticity is critical for for the for the um, transformational leader so transformational leadership as a style of leadership was was written about in the 80s by two writers burns and bass and they wrote about it as, as military was it was a model you don't micromanage people in combat we don't micromanage performers on stage during a performance we must prepare and we must guide the process and then it blossoms so there's there's several aspects of transformational leadership and I never found curriculum or books that I really thought nailed everything. So I wrote my own. So starting with this book and then numbers of online courses and other books. So I've, I've talked about the process, but I've also told stories. And in the, the magazine that I published, there's stories about leaders who've actually accomplished things. And leadership is generic. 
it doesn't have a face of nonprofit or religion or education or business. It is generic. It is us influencing people to achieve a common result. So it's, um, it's a very powerful tool and it's ultimately scalable where autocratic leadership is limiting wherever you can be and wherever you influence. So it's a very practical leadership model as well. Mm -hmm. Nicely done, thank you. Uh, and then a lot to take it up just a little bit further, and you've already alluded to these before in the first segment, but you mentioned something about the four principles of leadership that you've devised and teach. I would love to hear about those. If you can master these four things, you can lead anywhere. You can be a better committee chair. You can be a better den mother, the Cub Scouts. So number one, it's the foundations. When the, the conductor steps on the podium, they know the score. So knowing where you want to go, it's clarity of purpose, clarity of vision, and ability to articulate that. You can have it in your head, but if you can't share it in a way people can understand and be excited about it, then you're really not going anywhere. So the, the foundation, knowing the score, is A, have your plan, but you also have the ability to lead. So that I call the foundation. We are capable of leading. I talk to lots of people starting up businesses or nonprofits, and they say, well, I've got a team. And I said, what are they going to do? Well, I don't know yet. Well, that's backward. So we want to take our vision and put it down into a plan. Then we can move forward. And the second one is relationships. That's your people. So the, my principle in music is hire the best. I don't want shabby musicians in my orchestra. I want excellent musicians. And there's so many leaders that want to hire people less capable than themselves so it doesn't challenge them. Well, excuse me, you need people better than you so you can empower them to create this energy. And so we want to hire the best. So we, we have a worthy, worthy project, worthy goal, clear vision. Now we find people that fit our culture. They understand our values. They understand our principles. And we share that in common. So then here's our work. Here's how we work together. And then, okay, you got good people doing worthy work. Here's the third principle, rehearse for success. The best musical ensembles, the best drama groups rehearse for every performance. You got to stay on the cutting edge. You got to refine. You got to be at your best. We want to have have it all and just do it. Well, this is about system. So, Elise, I bet you've attended a boring, unproductive meeting in your life, probably more than once. Just occasionally, yeah. And I hope you well, you probably led one like I have. So, <laughs> no more boring meetings. So that's the number one team killer. We have a bad meeting, yet we expect to have good results. Well, I got to tell you, if I have a bad rehearsal, I'm probably going to have a bad concert. So we're teaching people how to perform in our everyday activity. So there's lots of systems. The annual review, whoo, highly dysfunctional. The hiring process, mm, we don't do it right. Meetings, we waste people's time and we put us this damper on their spirit. So that's the number one team killer. And the fourth principle is what makes all those others work. There's rests in music. So the musical principle is value the rests. So it's about balance. So we've got multiple priorities. We've got our, all of our personal traits, personal, spiritual, physical. We need to balance all of that. And we need to balance work and personal life. And you've had clients that brag about, well, I work 15-hour days, seven days a week. I haven't had a vacation for years. They're like they're bragging about it. Well, you can't be your best if you're burning out your body and spirit. So having time to rest, having time to reflect, having time to think, having time to plan, 
having time to evaluate, we need to balance our schedule with various aspects. And actually, you can get more done if you work less. So all of those are the principles. If you can embrace those, and my books are written around those, and my self-study courses are written around those four principles, because they're pretty universal. Very nice. Uh, I appreciate how crisp that is and very easy to follow. So thank you for that. I, I always like to make sure that our listeners walk away with something that, that's actionable for them that can immediately put to use. And that is. So thank you. And then building on that, one thing that you and I have spoken about, but really not in detail or depth, and that is your Wayfinder approach to working with your clients. Tell us about that. That is exclusive to the Center Vision Leadership Foundation community. So I look at things that don't work. I look at where people have trouble and I go backwards. You know, how do we get there? So the, the standard consultant model is, okay, I'm a strategist. I, I'm going to ask you a few questions. I'll write your strategic plan. I'll leave you a piece of paper and goodbye. Well, 90% of the failure is in implementation. So yes, we have a plan, but it's co-created with our board. So we have, we have built the culture from the very beginning. The planners and the doers are the same. Now, guiding the process is what I call a wayfinder. We have the expertise. And the consultant, by the way, tells you what to do. Now, that's ludicrous. It's like telling the oboe player how to play the oboe. I don't know how to play the oboe. So who knows more about their idea, about their enterprise, than the leader in the organization? So we shouldn't tell them what to do. We should help them take the information and put it in the system so they can actually achieve their mission, fully achieve their mission. So Wayfinder enables people to grow their skills to be able to do it themselves. It's a different model. It's a different mindset and it's a different approach to creating sustainable, healthy communities. You know what I like about that is it aligns with what I, my approach to, which is really all about helping people discover and step into and realize their own greatness. Um, because that's right. That's their ability to be able to realize their own potential, make the difference that's worthy of their one precious life. So it very much aligns with, with that principle of mine. That's, that's not, not surprising, but fascinating. And you spoke about my podcast, The Nonprofit Exchange, which you've been a guest on, but I do have a podcast called 31 Days to Becoming a Better Leader. And um, people can find it at betterleader.me. And it's free and it's just, there are aspects in that 31 days, you'll find out, hmm, I didn't know that was a part of leadership. So it's kind of an education on what leadership really is. And it's a very misunderstood word. Mm, I, I agree. So many defini definitions to it, it seems. One of the things that I appreciate, too, about you is that you seem to focus on nonprofits and churches. Is that true? And if so, why? Um, that's been a turn recently. Um, I've worked with several multinational companies. I worked with dozens and dozens of startup businesses, entrepreneurs, and early stage businesses trying to help them put these principles into place. I, I started Center Vision because when I served the churches, we had a counseling center and people could get the help they needed whether or not they had the money. So there needed to be a resource that was either free or no, or low cost for, for these organizations, the smaller ones that don't have the budget for leadership and organizational development, which is crucial for our success. Half of the nonprofits that are formed every year will close. The burnout rate for leaders is 45%, according to the study by the Meyer Foundation. And in clergy, only one out of 10 clergy actually make it to retirement. It's a high stress job. So empowering leaders not to get into the same old routine to burn out, because what we're not doing is we're not enabling others in the community to step up and volunteer and do the work that they want to be doing. So we're actually standing in the way of people that can do things and want to do things because we think they're too busy. Well, they can decide that. 
So it's a, it's a sector that we really need. The government shouldn't be doing a lot of things it's trying to do. The nonprofits and the faith community need to step up. So it's about it's it's giving an opportunity. And many we're losing. And I'm a Methodist. We're losing a thousand or twelve hundred members a, a week in the Methodist Church, and that's not that's not unusual for the mainline churches. And to me, that's a leadership issue. We're not really engaging people in meaningful uh, meaningful work that, that we're called to be and called to do. Mm-hmm. You see why I ask you to the show. Every other word that you use almost is meaning or purpose. So I, I just I'm, I'm with you on every term here. He works. Uh, so okay. So you told me why you're serving nonprofits and churches because there's a need and they can't necessarily afford the same sort of fee structure that say corporate America can. And I'm curious though. I also do work with nonprofit and corporate America. Is there a different leadership necessary in nonprofits or churches than corporate America? It's a lot harder in nonprofits and churches. You don't have the leverage for a paycheck. In my church in Atlanta, we had uh, CEOs of major corporations, and they were in the committees and the choirs and the ensembles, and they very much um, respected what I could do because I could I could engage a whole lot of people without the leverage of a paycheck and with a high level of accountability and a high standard of performance. Um, people don't show up to do a bad job, and we we apologize in communities like nonprofits and churches, and we. We downshift to make it easy for everybody, and then we water it down, and then nobody's satisfied. So we set the bar too low. And, and, and it, there's a different way. We influence people, yes. So with people who want to volunteer, the big V word, um, we want to find out what they want. And, and it's really not much different. People show up in a corporation for a paycheck. People show up in a, in a community like a church or nonprofit because they want to make a difference. Well, people perform at a higher standard in either one if they're personally fulfilled in the work they're doing. Yes, you get a raise, but then it's gone, you spend it. But you're going to perform at a higher level if you feel like you're doing something meaningful. Even even people that are paid good salaries hate to go to meetings that they feel like it's a waste of their time. They're being paid to be there, but they hate it. They want to do meaningful work and they want to perform at a high standard. So that part is very similar. So I think probably corporate leaders could learn from nonprofit leaders. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, the leadership blind spots and deficits are pretty much the same across any of those sectors. You know, reminding me just quickly that when I had the privilege of serving as the chairman of the board of the YMCA here in Dallas at the White Rock location, we had, I think, 32 board members at the time. And I went and met with each one of them in person as I, I launched my, my leadership. And the idea was, what do you want? What are you trying to? What are you trying to get from being on the board? What do you, What do you? You're here for a reason. This time takes away from your work and your family. What can we do to make it meaningful? What are you trying to make happen? It was amazing. Everybody had a different response. Everybody wanted something different. And so the ability to be able to serve up new meaningful roles for them or new relationships that they were interested in cultivating it was such a great fun job to do. I enjoyed it immensely. It is a fun job, and if if you're not the only one talking. Absolutely. No, no, no. I'm, I'm an excellent interviewer. I don't care what they say. All right. Let's grab our let's grab our second break if we can, Hugh. Thanks for staying with us. We're, we're going on our second break here. We will be back here with Hugh Ballou. He is a transformational leadership strategist and the president of Cinevision International. He is the author of eight books on, on transformational leadership and is a recognized expert in working with leaders in churches, religious organizations and business and nonprofit communities. He is the editor of the nonprofit performance 360 magazine and host of the non- the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Hugh Ballou. He's a transformational leadership strategist and the president of Synergism International. We were talking before the break about his particular approach to leadership development. And now what we want to do is get into the skinny of it here. And I've asked him to think about some case studies and examples of the work that he and his team do. So for this segment, again, now we're getting into the application here. Um, so I want to focus on some of the examples that you've, that you've done to help transform the leadership of, of your clients so listeners can be inspired and learn vicariously somewhat through what you're saying. So can you tell us about maybe first a nonprofit you work with where you've helped them achieve really strong results, maybe the story before and after, something like that? Well, you know, let's see what comes to mind. Um, you know, I work um, all over the country. I work in person. I work remotely. I think some of the most important ones have happen in my backyard. So that blows the consultant model all, all, all to pieces because the consultant has to be 50 miles away from home, as you know, and have a briefcase. And, I, and, and so one of the most intriguing um, projects I, I, that I led was that I used to live in Blacksburg, the town of Blacksburg, named after a guy named Black, and he had two, two, two sons who each got eight blocks. And so there's this 16 blocks downtown, this uh, 16 squares of history. And in just outside of it was Alexander Black's house, and the, and it was going going to pot. So the town bought it, and they wanted people to donate, fix it up. Well, give me a break. Who's going to donate to the government? And then they formed a nonprofit, and people said, mm, that's a trick. It's still the government. So they engaged me to, um, uh, to, to create a strategic plan for it. Well, strategic plan is a piece of paper. So we got the key players, the, the Virginia Tech people, the business people, city council members, a couple of them, arts community. And so we came together and over four, four sessions over two months, people took off of work four hours at a time. And we did some heavy lifting. And I use visually displayed thinking on storyboards. So we, we created the strategy over time. But what, what happened in the process was it was a new architecture of engagement. The arts community was not at all aligned. They weren't doing things together. There's an arts collaborative that's still going on five years later. The bankers wouldn't fund this project because they didn't think it was viable. Well, when we finished the fourth meeting, the three bankers around the table said, we're going to write the loan for $1.8 million. And so what happened was a transformation of, well, an idea this is a, a place to record history in this historic area of Blacksburg. I mean, if you paint your house, you have to get approval. It's one of those protected areas. But it went to being a place where history is made and the community gathers. And it was a very elegant transformation and renovation of that. When really transform was a renovation of that house. And so the, the bottom line here was it was the community coming together to create their own plan. And I didn't do it. I was a catalyst for bringing their thinking out 
and then putting it in a structure. What I find, especially in troubled times like we have today, is we've, we've lost the ability to have civil discourse, meaningful conversations about things that matter, and disagree and think that the disagreement is really creative thinking. It's not a weapon. And, and so what, what happened is all the people with diverse opinions really were being able to be aligned with a common vision. So that's the, the synergy of the common vision that I talked about. So that was, uh, I put so much effort in that job, I think uh, I made a dollar an hour. But it wasn't about the, it wasn't about the money. It was about me uh, being able to do a good job in the place where I lived at the time. That was high risk. <laughs> mm. So what do I what I just really heard here? What the difference it makes when you when you know that you what, so we all know when some when what we do is meaningful. It registers on an emotional level, and I heard that for you. And and I guess we could all just hang on to the one point eight million dollar loan that would indicate the, the success, but it sounds to me like you pulled the whole town forward. Well, the, the movers and shakers in the town, which indirectly, you know, town of 30,000 with a university of 30,000, 35,000. So, um, you know, the, the core players know it happened. Not everybody knows how it happened, but that's okay. It's a place, it's a place to gather and to think and to be and to be in community together. So it, it transformed the whole idea from being a historical museum to being, a, it's still a museum. There's still preservation of history, but we, you know, we gather and we communicate and we celebrate and we create new history. And see, and what I know listening to that and having been part of these as well, what we know is that every single person that was part of that effort was also emboldened and fueled by that transformation themselves. And they felt that were carried along with it as, as well, which is just beautiful. Yeah, and it was just a start. And, and you know, you people then, taken on and it, it, it migrates uh, over time into to a mature document. So what I'll point out here is the strategies that I create, we also establish a review, six month review. So a long-term plan is still a long-term plan. You, you revise it and you update it and you recommit to the new plan. So the long-term objectives are probably the same. Your vision and mission are probably the same, but the mechanics of getting it done will learn how to improve those. And we'll learn if we're going down the wrong pathway. So, it, so staying flexible to the application and the imp implementation of the plan is key. Okay, so that was a, a story in, or a case study about a nonprofit. How about one about a church that you've worked with? Well, there's a Methodist church in North Canton, Ohio. They called me one day, said, we got to hire four staff members. Can you help us hire? And so I said, hmm, hmm, what is your strategy? Well, we don't really have one written. I said, well, what are they going to do? How are we going to work together? And so instead of me working for a couple of months, um, we, we devised a year-long, develop a year-long process. And this is where Cinevision kicks in. You know, they had X number of dollars, but they needed much more work. So basically the in-kind grant enabled them to have the whole year's worth process, multiple trips, multiple engagements, and then in between conversations. So, so they, um, we gathered in their big, their big uh, gym, and 100 people in the congregation showed up for a Saturday planning session. So we did some future visioning. What would you like to see? So it, it starts with possibility thinking. Now, churches want to opt out and say our mission is the Great Commission to, to make, make disciples. Well, no, that's the Great Commission. It's not a choice. Your mission is what you do when you make disciples. And so in each, each organization is different, like each person is different. So what are we going to do as an organization that's different from the other one down the street? And by the way, is there some way we can work together? It's something we rarely think about. And so we devised the, the process. And then I said, why don't we 
upgrade everybody's leadership skills because you got a lot of teams, committees, you got a lot of people doing things. So I did another Saturday, month later, uh, an all all hands on deck leadership process training. So I did a full day training. It was a snowed in day. Seventy seven people showed up, and they loved it so much they didn't want to go home. So we talked about meeting strategies as part of that. And so the next Sunday we announced the next day Sunday we announced what we've done. And then after church they had a meal and they had committee meetings. So I walked around. Everybody was using what I taught them. <laughs> so no more boring meetings. It's purpose driven meetings. It's focused on the outcomes. It's changing the agenda to deliverables. We're going to accomplish the following things. So there was this energy, and then they started sharing with one another, and they dis- discovered that oh, if you do this, I don't have to do it. But if I finish this, this other group needs it. So we erased the silos in the sharing of the goals, which we don't ordinarily do. We meet in secret, we work in secret, and then we report the results. When really this new architecture of engagement is how do we work together? Because we could maybe do less work and get more done and have a better time at it. So that was very successful. And then we then we went we did a job search. We had four search committees and. Long story short, we put all four people uh, in in the jobs on June 1st. We started December, June 1st. They went to work. And then the most eliminated uh, part of this is the assimilation process. So we did an assimilation process and talked about how do we manage um, evaluations without having to do the annual evaluation? How do we do ongoing empowerment and improvement over the process? By the way, in the process of this of doing the planning and looking at the future, they rewrote the four position descriptions. It wasn't at all what they thought it was going to be. And they came up with a much more powerful paradigm of leadership for this church. And it was very successful. I can tell I'm just hanging on every word. How exciting. How very exciting. Talk about making a difference and leaving a, leg, a legacy. You, It's beautiful. Speaking of legacy, we have to talk about our common friend, Bob Hopkins, which is how we got to know each other. And I want to talk a little bit about how you got connected to, yes, that's our Bob Hopkins right there. I'm so proud of him. I could bust. He's been on the show a couple of times, and I just am such a fan. He has a program called the PAVE program, which it stands for Philanthropy and Volunteerism in Education. And I want to understand why you're connected with that. Why is that a, is that a meaningful project for you to support? Well, the PAVE leaders were the leaders in that um, youth philanthropy conference you spoke about. Mm-hmm. That happened in June 2020, and they led it. They were the leaders. I was the I was the facilitator of the process. I set up all the mechanism. You know, that's the that's the preparation part. So um, my rule of thumb for meetings and live events is the same as is preparing for a rehearsal. It's two to one. If it's an hour rehearsal, you have two hours preparation. Two hour, four hours. And so that was a four hour session. It took a whole lot of preparation just to make sure that everything flowed. And, you know, for the person watching it, if you watch a performance and it seems easy, then the artist has done a good job of preparing. And so um, preparing and teaching our youth to, to step up is, is, is priority. In all of my churches of 40 years, my peer group, the group that I led, was the third through fifth grade choirs. And you know what? We learned from them. And I learned from, from them. This, and every one of these well, the, the 13 to 22 year olds went first and they were astounding. And then the seven to 12 year olds came and they were they were a step up from that. <laughs> they were higher performing. So empowering and people want to say, oh, the youth are tomorrow's leaders. No, they're today's leaders. And we need to give them a voice and we need to give them some of the benefit of our expertise. And so all of those all of those youth were listening to Bob and I with gray hair 
saying, okay, here's some things that didn't work, but there were also active learning, sharing, and, and volunteering in their own right. And so there's a lot of hope if we give people people the benefit of our wisdom and the benefit of a track that they can raise the bar on their own performance. So I am passionate along with Bob and never had thought about it before in philanthropy. And so he's opened my eyes to challenging these young leaders to think in a, in a new and fresh way. And he does it in his classes and teaching in the, the junior colleges and colleges around Dallas. I know he does. I, when I had him on the show first, I, I, I was really I fell in love with what he's doing and the, what he stands to be in the world. And he really believes, and I think I absolutely agree with him, that if we allow children to to become philanthropists and volunteers in their community, one, we strengthen them, their, their sense of self and, and, and person because they, they step into a state of self-transcendence. So they're more less likely to get into trouble and get involved with drugs, choose criminal activities, et cetera and more likely to really develop a sense of confidence and self-esteem and become successful in life. I think that's worth getting up for. It's worth getting up for. And I was, I was, uh, have the book in my hand. It's called um, Philanthropy Misunderstood. But he's got a lot of stories in here about people who are philanthropists doing very, very meaningful work. And actually, ask me how I met him. I was looking for the page, but I can't find it. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a coffee table book. So you can go to philanthropy misunderstood.org.org and you can get a copy there. But um, I interviewed and I connected with these people on LinkedIn, uh, Bonnie and Michael, who actually accidentally founded a winery, a Bigfoot winery. Accidentally. Barefoot, I forget. I think it's Barefoot. 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 And it became the number one brand in America. And in the process, they helped nonprofits get funding. And I said, my wife's a graduate of SMU. We were going to Dallas and he said, they said, oh, you got to meet Bob. And so I met Bob and we became fast friends and he introduces me to really great people like Elise Cortez. And so it's this thread of good people meeting good people. And, you know, it, it's at this stage of life, it's my third career. And it's the most meaningful and the one where I have the most impact and the one where I'm having the best time. That's so great. We're almost out of time speaking of that. So I want to ask you two things really quick. We talked on the phone some time ago, and I asked you, what makes your heart sing? And you said, when people tell me that I made a difference in their lives, why is that so important to you? We want to, we want to say to ourselves, hmm, I work so hard and nobody cares. But people have come to me years later and said, you told me this, and it changed my life. And I, you know, I just commented on something and said, well, what about this? What about that? And one person said, I renamed my company because you said, what about this? And um, I... Um, in, in, in above Dallas here and didn't have spoke at CEO space and I, we have meal tables and over the course of the last 13 years I've facilitated conversations around three meals a day, 850 of those. And so I've, I've gotten really good at listening to people and saying, well, what if? And they go, wow. And that touches my heart. I, you know, I work for higher people pay me for coaching and whatnot because I've got this bad habit of eating and living in a house. But, but the biggest payment is to see them be successful. Mm -hmm. Beautiful way to finish, Hugh. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us your heart, your soul, your expertise with our listeners and me. Thank you. Listeners, if you want to learn more about Hugh, his work, or his publication, start by visiting his website, which is synervisionleadership.org. Let me spell that for you. It's S-Y-N-E-R-V-I-S-I-O-N leadership.org. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch up in the recorded podcast. We were on the air with Jayes Prayek talking about what he and those he interviewed for his book are doing with their wealth to make a difference in the world. Very promising and very inspiring. 
Next week, we'll be on the air with Danny Gooknack talking about his book, Meaning at Work and Its Hidden Language. I stalked him on LinkedIn to bring him to you, so you be there. I'll see you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.